Well, good morning, everyone. All right. I'm sorry if my voice is a little bit raspy. I I have just a small cold. But thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach God's word to you. And let's, let's, let's start by looking at our passage. This morning we're going to be looking at a small but well-known section of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Looking at the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to pray. Therefore, let us open God's word together to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And hear now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible, inspired, and authoritative word from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. This is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's go before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us the ability to to hear it, to understand it. Father, please open our hearts and open our minds that we may hear your word, that we may know your word, and that we may glorify you with our words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For a little while now, my children have had the great desire to learn how to play baseball. They wanted to learn how to play catch and to how to hit the ball. Now, this is not the most complicated skill to learn, but it is something that needs to be taught. And when my children asked me, I had the great privilege to teach them slowly, really how to hold a bat, how to swing, how to pitch, how to catch. I first had to teach them big concepts before getting down to the nitty-gritty. If I only focused just on the small, intricate details, they wouldn't have understood and would have become very frustrated very quickly. I had to model it for them so they could see how it was to be done. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Or in other words, communicating with God, our Heavenly Father, in a personal way. In which we have the great privilege to get to speak to him. He does this by commanding them to pray telling them how not to pray, and then demonstrating them, finally, how to pray. 
He takes them through an all-important discipline of the Christian life in a short, overview-like manner, even going as far as modeling a prayer for them, just as he goes before God the Father. And these instructions are not only for disciples of that time and of that place, but for all who would come after him, including Christians today. Let's look at this first instruction then that Jesus gives on prayer in our passage, which we see just in the first half of verse 5, commanding us to pray. It says this, And when you pray, this command, it is short. It's succinct, yet it's very substantial. When Jesus says these four words, he is commanding, he is proclaiming to his disciples that prayer, it's not optional. It says, when you pray. When you pray, meaning that it is the duty of the Christian to pray to God. It's not an optional pastime that you can give up whenever you fancy. It's not a hobby that you can only focus on when you really have the time. Nor is it a job that you only have to clock in certain hours and then you're free. No prayer. It's a lifelong dialogue between you and your creator, your king. The one who desires for you to have a relationship with him. And to worship him as he commands. Therefore pray at all times. And in all circumstances. For that little word, when. It's in the original Greek. It's a term not meaning a singular use. Not like a straw which we all use every day. Which we may drink and then toss it away. No, it refers to an ongoing action. In other words, when you pray. At any time wherever and wherever you may. Now, praying to the Lord at all times makes our lives a continual, perpetual lifestyle of prayer. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he highlights this when he says, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. His will for you is to pray to him and to do so continually. So go before the Lord. Go before your God in prayer. Go before him as he commanded. For if you are a follower of Christ, not only is this a command for you now, but a command, a call to deepen your personal relationship with Christ. For this command, it's a personal command because it says you and when you pray it's not just that someone should pray at all times and in all circumstances but it is to be a personal task god desires his people his family his adoptive children to come before his throne of grace personally For if you have Christ as your Savior, you have free access to the Father. You do not have to go through saints. You don't have to go through Mary. You don't have to go through the Pope. You have your prayers heard by the Father. You have Jesus 
as your permanent advocate, sitting at the right hand of the Father, so you can speak to him directly. This is one of the reasons why we pray in the name of Jesus. If you are a follower of God, this command, it's for you. Go before the Father with confidence then, for your prayers will be heard. Go before Him without fear, for your sins are forgiven once and for all by our great and our merciful God who has shown us grace. You don't have to be like the terrified Israelites of the Old Testament, hoping beyond hope that you were good enough, that your works were good enough, that your cleansing um, ceremonies were done perfectly. If you have Christ, you can have certain confidence and security that comes from Christ alone. Because he has fulfilled the law. And you do not have to fear that the works of Christ are not complete. For they are done on once and for all on the cross. There needs to be no repeat. And praise be to God for that. Additionally, go before him. Not just because you are commanded to. But because you desire to. For the commands of God, they're just not cold dead commands that are foreign to us. No, they are personal commands. Commands that the Holy Spirit works in us and through us, for He will change us and sanctify us so that we desire the commands. So they do not feel like commands at all, but rather like everyday actions. Actions that we can look forward to. Actions that we can have an unsatiable desire to complete. Actions that fulfill our life's purpose, not only to glorify God, but to enjoy Him. And enjoying God in part of that relationship with Him is having an active prayer life. As an acquaintance of mine once said, there is nothing that reveals a person's spiritual health so much as the state and the status of his prayer life. Not his ability to pray in public, even the act of leading in public prayer, but his own personal, private fellowship with the Lord himself and alone. Prayer is not only the ultimate test of our spiritual condition, but the highest and most important activity of the soul. Prayer is our greatest need, and at the same time, our greatest and most frequent failure is to pray. This is a humbling reminder to all Christians, no matter our spiritual maturity. We see this so clearly in Scripture. And while we see a a command in verse 5 We must remember that commands and duties are not enemies of a good relationship with God. Nor a relationship in general. For we receive commands all the time. Maybe when you're at work, your boss tells you to do something that you just really don't want to do. But you do so anyway, because it's your duty. Or maybe it's your parents. 
and your parents, they give you a command that you would truly love to do anything else. But you follow through because they have the ability to discipline you. Maybe it's some other relationship in your life or authority. And you only follow through on the command because they have the authority over you. Whatever the case may be, the command Jesus gives to pray is not to be a command devoid of any personal relationship. It is to be a command given by God and followed through because of your desire to grow in your relationship with him. So pray. Pray out of the relationship that God has given you with him. For he elected you. He predestined you. He regenerated you. He drew you. He saved you. He justified you. And he sanctifies you. And he keeps you. Even though you could not choose him. And even though you continually fail to keep his word. So pray. Pray because the Holy Spirit is with you and is at work in you. And Jesus is your advocate. Even when you don't desire to pray. For we all, we all have that feeling of apathy sometimes. But we must not let our emotions make our decisions for us. For our feelings, they love to play hopscotch with what is actually best for us. Instead, trust in the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast covenant love endures forever. As we heard in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 136. For if he commanded you to do something, it is what is best for you. Even when you don't personally desire it. Yet what if you don't know Jesus as your Savior? What if he is as far from you as the east is from the west? What if you not only don't desire to pray, but instead actively seek to thwart the plans of God? If you are hearing God's word preached this morning, you have heard that God is a personal God who cares for you. That he wants you to speak to him. Know that no other religion can claim this. For gods in those other religions, they're distant. They're impersonal. And they're power-starved imaginary beings who do not care for the lives of the people that they claim to rule. This is not who the God of the Bible is. He is the one. He is the true. He is the perfect God. That because of our sin, because of our breaking of his law, you cannot go before his throne on your own. For he is holy and you are not. Yet God, out of love, out of love he sent Jesus to live a perfect life. To fulfill the law that we have failed to uphold. And he died the perfect atoning sacrifice for sin On the cross, once and for all. Taking all of sin upon himself. Taking all of our deserved wrath. And dying in our place. He did not stay dead though. Three days later, he arose from the grave to the glory of God the Father. 
and brings new eternal life to do <coughs> excuse me to all who call upon his name and he gives you a good personal relationship with your creator and your king praise be to god for this who is always there he is always listening and always acting so if you are feeling the holy spirit convict you of your sin this morning and by his work desire freedom desire to be saved from your sin go before your lord your father in prayer confess your sin confess jesus as lord and today you will be saved for there is no waiting period and there's no extra task for you to complete and is an added benefit you can now go before your Lord at all times and in all places and with all kinds of prayers and requests, and He will hear you. He is your Lord. He is your God. And you not only have the duty, but have the ability to go before Him in prayer. For when you pray, you are praying to your Father who is in heaven who desires for you to praise and to pray to him. Hallowed be his name. Yet how are we to pray? At the beginning of verse 5, we see the command for us to pray, but how are we to do it? Jesus, before giving us the model of prayer, gives us two negative examples, from hypocrites and from pagans, which we see in verses 5b through 8, which say this, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now Jesus' teaching style was the same as the prophets and then later the apostles, in which usually a truth is presented in the light of a falsehood. In other words, Jesus would first teach what we are not to do before teaching us what we should do. Like saying, you have heard this passage meaning X, but now that they taught you out of, but no, they have taught you out of selfishness and sin. But what I have to teach you is right. And this is exactly what Jesus does here in verses 5 to 8. He presents the negatives and then the positives of prayer. We are not to pray or be like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. They are not praying as God has commanded. For to pray like a hypocrite is to have self-indulgent, or as I like to call them, selfie prayers. Like what we take with our cell phones. For self-focused prayers only show us how great I can pray. And how I can be seen around, from those around me. Now, we've done all these type of prayers, all of us have, whether consciously or not. And in Jesus' day, 
These were the standard fare on the corners of the streets and the synagogues. Now the issue is not whether the whether hypocrites were standing or they, whether they were kneeling in the places they were praying. Rather, it was the way and the reason why they were praying. These hypocrites, they sought to have public recognition for their prayers. They wanted to be noticed. Like when a young child does something great, they want everyone to stop and to look at them, to publicly acknowledge how great they are, even when it was a small, tiny little feat. And hypocrites indeed. For prayer is a conversation between us and God, where we go before our Heavenly Father adoring Him, praising Him, giving thanks to Him, and petitioning Him with all kinds of prayers and intercessions. While this can be done in a public manner, as we've done so this morning in our Sunday morning worship, we also see in Scripture there is a difference between corporate and selfie prayers. For those who pray selfie prayers are not seeking after God, but their own self-importance. The theologian R.A. Torrey aptly said, We should never utter one syllable of prayer, either in public or in private, until we are definitely conscious that we have come into the presence of God and are actually praying to him. That is what Jesus is teaching in verse 6, saying, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We see here that our prayers must be sincere and devout to God alone. Jesus here, he is not teaching against public or corporate prayer. We should do both. Instead, he is teaching about the motivation behind our prayers. Our motivation is to be in communion with the God of gods, the one who rules over heaven and earth, your Father who is in heaven, rather than just the people who may be around you, who may be praying with you. For we do not impress the Lord with our words. Only the people around us. This can be tricky. For we see that when we are praying in front of people, naturally, we are continually reminded that they are where with us. Now whether you are the one praying or you are praying alongside someone else, our focus should be on the Father himself and what is being prayed, rather than the person praying. We must humble ourselves, remembering that it is God who we are speaking to, for we are at His throne, rather than the place we are just physically at. Additionally, when we do fall into this trap of hypocrisy, we must go before the Lord and ask for His forgiveness with the full knowledge of the grace of God, that he will forgive us. So then today, I implore you, go before the Lord. Ask him to work in your heart to change your desires from selfie prayers to ones that are God-focused and bathed in humility and sincerity. 
Now Jesus, he is not only addressing the motivation behind our prayers, but also the words and the mannerisms we use. Now in the previous verse, Jesus was specifically looking at the scribes and the Pharisees, whose prayers were ritualistic, mechanical, and long and ostentatious. Then, in verses 7 and 8, Jesus is addressing the pagans, to which he refers to as the Gentiles, which just means non-Jews. But in this context, it's referring to people who are worshiping false gods. Now, in most of the religions of that day, the prayers to their gods required a vain repetition of phrases, so they may even hope to be heard. They were repeated because they weren't sure if their God was listening. Sort of like the account of Elijah and the prophets of Baal from 1 Kings 18. The prophets, where they were shouting at the top of their lungs, cutting themselves and repeating their chants over and over and over in a desperate plea of hope that their God would listen to them and give them a sign. This is the type of pagan prayers that Jesus is referring to. A vain, repetitious attempt to speak to a God who does not exist. Now Jesus here, he is not condemning long prayers or even repetition. For we see in Luke 6.12, Jesus prayed all night long. He also repeated his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26. No, Jesus here, he is preaching against vain repetitions. Where we think that the more words we use show us how great our relationship with God is. Yet that's not the case. For instance, we see in Roman Catholicism that praying of the rosary. And while some people may pray it with devotion and sincerity, it too often becomes a prayer with little to no thought of what is being said or who is being prayed to. This kind of mindless prayer is what Jesus was speaking of in this passage. Prayers that are basically just lip service to the Lord, rather than a pouring out of our heart and our soul before the throne of grace. No amount of repetition, no amount of superstitiously saying certain words will move the Father in any manner against His will. For He is not a genie waiting for magic words to spring into action. Sadly, though, we see this in our prayers as well. We utter the title Father often in our prayers, sometimes thinking that if we take a pause, God will think that we've fallen asleep or that he would even stop listening to us. This is not the case. While God does does not command for us to say certain words in our prayers, What does matter is the motivation behind what's being said. As the great reformer Martin Luther simply put, Christian prayer is easy. It does not cause hard work. It presents its need from the heart. Faith quickly gets through telling what it wants. For God has no need of such everlasting twaddle. While Luther is very blunt here, It does not make it any less true. Pagan prayers had the wrong view of God, that he must be tricked or he must be cajoled into hearing and into action. 
This is not the case with a living and true God. He knows what we need before we even ask him. We are therefore, as we have heard already, to pray out of our relationship with him. Out of an ongoing relationship that is in constant prayer. Sometimes short, sometimes long, but out of the faith that we have in him and the knowledge we have about who God is. So if God already knows and there is no need for vain repetition of our petitions, we see that we should be praying to God in a manner which we see in Scripture. As a faithful pastor once said, God is not a mortal man who needs to be informed and then solicited. Our God can discern our groanings too deep for words. So pray. Pray with reverence and knowledge of who God is, even when it is tempting to seek to please him with your large theological vocabulary. For the yoke of prayer is light when we understand how God wants us to pray. So how are we to pray then? We see the answer in verses 9 through 13, which say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. To summarize the Lord's Prayer, we are not to pray like the pagans and the hypocrites, but as members of the family of God. If you are a follower of Christ, You are part of God's family. You are a son or daughter of God. You are his children. And what Jesus is showing here in this model prayer is a command to pray familial prayers, which builds on what we've already seen. That we are to pray prayers that have their base in their relationship with God. Prayers that are humble. Prayers that are sincere. But now Jesus, he gets down to brass tacks. In these verses, he shows us the type of content we are to have in our prayers. Now this passage is not saying that we cannot pray the Lord's Prayer as it is written. Far from it. We've already prayed it this morning together. Yet Jesus did not just give us this prayer as the only prayer we are to pray but as a model for all of our prayers as the context of this verse shows us we see in verse 9 that this prayer is corporate which makes sense since jesus is preaching to a crowd of his disciples and it reminds us that our prayers are to be corporate as well as we've already seen furthermore it shows us that the object of our prayer is our heavenly father Now this is where the church as a whole gets muddled up. For we have forgotten that God is a trinity and what that means. We see plainly in scripture in passages like Ephesians 5 and 
John chapter 15 to 17, we are not praying to Jesus. We are not praying to the Holy Spirit. We are praying to the Father who is in heaven with Jesus, acting as our advocate through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and makes us holy. Our prayers then are Trinitarian in nature, for we are praying to God, by God, and through God. But that does not mean we should not be precise. The opposite, in fact, for we see it plainly throughout Scripture, and we should always let Scripture interpret Scripture and be our guide rather than our personal feelings and thoughts. This is one of the reasons why we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, not only because we see it in Scripture, but because it makes a logical sense. For he is our access to him. For there is nothing that we have done, but only by the grace of God, who has saved us from our sin, who we have free access to the Father by. Therefore, as we've seen in the second half of verse 9 and all of verse 10, our prayers should hallow, or in other words, lift up, And praise the Father who deserves all the glory, all the honor and praise due his name. Praising him not only for what he has done, but for who he is. Sadly though, this is one of the parts of prayer that we most often ignore. Or at least that we rush through to get to our petitions. We may passively, shortly reflect on God's grace in general terms. But we never linger there. Never lingering in a place that we are meant to be. A place where we praise the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation, praising Him for He is your health and your salvation, praising Him with glad adoration. For the beginning of this prayer gives us the mindset for all that is to follow. For when we take time to reflect and to meditate on his attributes and his actions, our prayers are then born out of intimate knowledge and praise of our Heavenly Father. Now this is not meant to be where our prayers end. Instead, we are to move from praise to kingdom-focused and God-focused prayer. For that is what it means to pray your kingdom Come, your will be done. Meaning that we are to pray for Christ's rule to become more evident. For he reigns now as king. It's also evangelistic praying. Praying that the blessings of salvation will flow. That Christians will grow in grace. And that they would obey Jesus in every sphere of their life by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. In this, we are also reminded to pray for Christ's inevitable return when we will see him face to face and be in his holy presence. Yet like praising the Father, when we are praying to God for his will to be done and for his kingdom to come, we must remember what prayer is all about. It's about becoming before the Lord who holds the whole world in his hands. And not one action that has ever happened in your life or in the lives of others has gone unnoticed. 
for he is all-seeing, he is all-knowing, and he is sovereign over all. And we must have our prayers reflect this reality. Now this last section of this model prayer, verses 11 to 13, is usually what we focus on the most. It's what we think of when we hear the word prayer, petitioning the Father with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now hear me clearly. I am not downgrading this part of prayer from the rest. Rather, it's just as important. Yet it must be seen in the context of what Jesus wants us to pray as a whole. We are to praise. We are to adore. We are to thank God. And we are to pray for his will to be accomplished, for his kingdom to come, and then to come before him with requests and intercessions. It's not that God won't hear us if we don't pray this way. For as we see in verses 8 and verse 9, we are not to pray like the pagans seeking repetition and superstition. But when we do follow this model of prayer, our minds are better focused on God's desires rather than our own. Therefore, as we reach verse 11, we see that we are to pray for our daily needs. Pray that God, in his grace and in his mercy, that he would provide for us what we need for life and faith in him. This does not mean that we should ignore our wants, but we must know that God may not give us what we want or even what we think we may need. For he gives you what you need for the duty he has called you to. In glorifying him and enjoying him forever. So when you pray, petitioning the Lord, pray with this in mind. Pray that God would work in you to desire to come before him with an open hand and an open heart. Sharing with him all that you have done and failing to keep his law. Praying that he would work in you by his spirit to change not only your actions but your desires. That you would embody what Psalm 119 says about loving God's law and meditating on his statutes day and night so that they become like second nature to you. For if you will forgive others just as he has forgiven you, as we see in verses 14 and 15, in this God will grow our relationship with him mature us so that we will depend upon him not just for our daily needs but for all of our actions every moment of every day which is what the last petition in the lord's prayer is all about praying that god would grow us strengthen our relationship with him by giving us opportunities to depend upon him and him alone, as he did with the patriarch Job. Praying that God would give you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness rather than shiny and expensive things of this world. For this whole model prayer ends where it begins. Asking our Father to be hallowed, to be glorified. For when we are living lives that honor and glorify God, He is hallowed. 
For our prayer lives are the barometer of our spiritual health. They are the indicator of our relationship with God. Therefore, today and in the future, go before the Lord your God in prayer with humility, with reverence, focusing on the God above all, in all, and through all, as he graciously and lovingly commanded. Praise be to God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who, what you have done. We thank you for giving us the ability and the duty to come before you in prayer. Please work in our hearts that we may desire to pray to you. That we may desire to come before you in confessing our sin, in adoring you, and with all kinds of petitions and requests. Father, grow us in our relationship with you, that we may live for you and glorify you every moment of every day that you give us here. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.